Our scripture lesson is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And this is the uh, lectionary reading for today. So uh, in the, the church, across denominational lines actually, in this country and even in Europe and other places in the world, there are many believers that are hearing this passage read along with a reading from the gospel and from the Old Testament and the Psalter. Um, I am uh, following the lectionary between now and, and uh, June as a new discipline to just kind of finish the course. And I've been amazed at how relevant some of these readings have been for the church, where we are today, including this one, and uh, again next Sunday, which continues in 1 Corinthians 3. But today it's verses 1 through 9. Listen now to God's Word. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous uh, of of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. God, we extend our hands now in this moment and pray that you will bless them and use them to do the work of the kingdom as we partner with each other and with you, as we invite your Holy Spirit to work in and through us, as co-laborers, as co-workers with Christ, as he builds his church, a church that the gates of hell itself shall not prevail against. Lord, we thank you that you call us to a variety of tasks, some not so pleasant some that require us to dirty our hands and to soil our lives in ways that sometimes make us uncomfortable, that put us in situations that that, uh, cause us to trust you, to yield to you with, with greater surrender because without you, we can accomplish nothing. Come, Holy Spirit, come and help me to teach and preach your word in these next moments. In this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So how would you feel if um, on your very first day of a brand new career, you discover that your predecessor has been trashing you on his last day of work? 
even though the two of you have never met, how would you feel if this same former employee destroyed all the records that you might need that might be useful for you to be successful in that new career? How would you feel if on your very first day on the job as a new supervisor, about a dozen of your employees decide to leave the company and protest because that, that you were joining them in the workplace even though none of them actually knew you? How would you feel if the guy who actually hired you repeatedly called you the wrong name whenever he visited your workplace? All this and more happened to me as a 27-year-old pastor starting out in my very first appointment in 1983. I jokingly called one of the churches 3rd Corinthians um, because even though that really wasn't their name, they resembled the church at Corinth a great deal. And one of the first Bible studies I did in that little church was a study of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Paul probably wrote four letters to the church at Corinth, although there are only two of them that have survived the first century and are a part of the New Testament canon. Uh, no church required more attention and care than Corinth by the Apostle Paul. Theologian N.T. Wright says that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was dealing with many problems in the church. And then he spends the next chapter talking about every one of them, including this one, a problem of leadership, of competition between two leading pastors, Paul and Apollos. In fact, the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians are dealing with this leadership crisis at Corinth, at the beginning of this letter, um, Paul had, had barely uh, caught his breath in the first chapter and he says to them, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, uh, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. It's verses 10 through 12 of 1 Corinthians 1. Now, we know a lot about Peter. Peter and Paul had their conflicts, their disagreements, according to the book of Acts. And, and even in one of Paul's epistles, he references this. But apparently they were able to work those things out to reconcile their differences and go forward together as co-workers in, in Christ. Apparently, Paul had no issue with Peter, who must have come to Corinth at some point and had done some teaching. After Paul had spent 18 months there planting this church. However, Apollos was a different story. We believe he was a gifted teacher in order from Alexandria in Egypt. Apollos had been in Ephesus shortly after Paul had come through and had started the church there. And Priscilla and Aquila um, had recognized 
that, that he was lacking in his doctrine. He was preaching more John the Baptist than Jesus Christ. And so they discipled him and brought him to a place of greater maturity. And as Apollos moved on, he followed Paul in Corinth. Corinth, uh, the church that Paul had started, that he had planted. And he made a very good impression there in Corinth. And apparently there were some that concluded, Apollos is the kind of pastor we want, not Paul. Now, some in Corinth had probably come to dislike Paul because he was nothing special to look at. Speculation is he was rather ordinary, uh, not especially tall. His rhetorical skills, uh, Paul alludes to this in the epistles, were not the best either. Uh, Corinth didn't like Paul's leadership skills and they certainly didn't like some of the counsel he gave them to deal with the problems that were going on in the church. Several had decided we don't want Paul to be our pastor anymore. Now I've felt that pain before in ministry in 37 years. In fact, I was looking at the list of churches that I've been appointed to over the, over the past four decades and in every situation the congregation was in turmoil when I arrived over some kind of issue related to the previous pastor. They were not the same issues, but in every single case, the bishop sent me to a troublesome church. Now, I'm really thankful for that. Uh, taught me a lot. At the time, it was very difficult for me. Uh, and, and in every church, I found people that didn't care for me. They didn't like my style of preaching. They didn't like my southern accent. They didn't like, uh, you know, my personality. Um, they didn't like some decision I made, um, et cetera, et cetera. So they left the church. Every church I've pastored has been people who've left because of me. They quit coming to worship. They tried to drive a wedge between me and perhaps somebody else in the church, including an associate pastor. Uh, I had, I've had folks call the DS to complain. That's always fun. And um, I mean, I hadn't been here very long and someone called the bishop on me. They gossip about me behind my back to others. And I've had a few people that have stopped giving, the church, giving to the church, withholding their tithe as a way to punish me in disapproval of my leadership. And this infantile behavior goes on and on. It has happened as long as I've been in the ministry. And if you'll talk to pastors who are willing to be vulnerable and honest, they'll say to you, I've had similar kinds of experiences. Because the fact is people have their favorites, don't they? Come on, nod your head. Everybody's got their favorite pastor. And it's somebody from childhood maybe or after you first got married or baptized all five of your children or something. And, and they, they like you best because you were attentive to them as a pastor. At least they felt they had a special relationship with you. Or they liked the way you told jokes, your sense of humor, uh, or you shared something culturally. I mean, it goes on and on. We have our favorites. That's human nature. Uh, we have our favorites in our families sometimes. And I've known grandparents that have favorite grandchildren. Not a good idea, but sometimes they do. When we allow our human nature to take 
control, to take the lead in our lives. This sinful nature that Paul talks about in those first four four verses of chapter 3, we find ourselves comparing people, um, having preferences for one preacher, one pastor over another, and kind of a personality cult can develop the longer someone is in a particular church. People can be pretty petty in the church. Do you know that? Have you ever experienced that? I hate pettiness, by the way. That is one thing I am not going to miss come June 14th, is having to deal with pettiness in the church. So why do people behave in these ways? I mean, what was the problem at Corinth? Paul says in verses 1 through 4, they are of the world and of the flesh, of their carnal nature. They are controlled by their old sin nature rather than the Holy Spirit. They are also spiritually immature. They have not grown up in their faith. In other words, they are still sucking on a bottle and they ought to be eating adult food. I'll just tell you, that first church that I pastored, they they were so immature, so childish in their ways uh, there, was a, there was a time when I thought, next time we have a potluck, we're going to serve sweet tea and bottles to all the adults. <laughs> because they cannot seem to get along with each other in this congregation. Everybody had a complaint. Everybody had, had a, a petty gripe that would come up from time to time. And this is human nature from the day we are born. Every one of us, when born wants what we want when we want it. We want to be held. We want to be coddled. We want to be changed. We want to be rocked. Um, We want to be fed. It goes on and on and on. Babies are very challenging, aren't they? And they're very self-centered. I mean, they give you nothing. A newborn baby gives you nothing except a sleepless night. And, and, uh, and the challenge of parenting is over the long haul is to lead that child away from, from those childish preoccupations into a life of maturity, of, of love, for them to become good functioning adults who are not so self-centered anymore. Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Again, he's talking to this same church. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And that feels a little bit like a a dig at Corinth and their immaturity, which he describes throughout his letter to them. The question I have for you is, have you made the transition spiritually from infancy to adulthood? Or are you still sucking on a bottle? Now, some of us have been in the church a long time. We ought to be mature. We ought to avoid all forms of of quarreling and fussing and fighting and disagreeing, of demanding our own way, of getting our feelings hurt, having a chip on our shoulder, being upset when, when things don't go the way we voted in a particular setting or meeting or situation. Some of us ought to be mature enough that we don't need a bottle any longer. And yet in Corinth, there were lots of people still on the bottle that were in need of milk. 
It's okay for people to need milk at one point in the journey. At the beginning, when we're babies in Christ, when we're born again, we, we need to be fed milk. And you don't, you don't give a baby a leadership position in the church, do you? <laughs> no, that's disastrous. You don't put an immature person as a committee chair or, or send them on a mission trip where they pout and fuss and wreak havoc with everyone else on the trip. No, no, babies need to stay in the nursery until they're mature. This is just common sense, but yet a lot of churches, well, they do the best they can with what they have. A sure sign of spiritual maturity is an absence. Listen to me now. It's an absence of selfishness and grumbling and worry among many, many other things. I mean, the encounter that Jesus had with the disciples in Mark 10 that we read responsively just a little while ago is just a, a beautiful example of spiritual infancy. These men had not yet grown mature. And so James and John seized the moment to, to, to take first place on Jesus' right and left side. They were jockeying for position like, you know, Horses in the Kentucky Derby. And they ran out front of the rest of them and said, we want to be your top two vice presidents. And Jesus says, you don't have any idea what you're asking for. You, you don't, don't understand the responsibility, the sacrifice that is required of somebody that is in a position of spiritual leadership with me. He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. The Son of Man came to give His life a ransom for many. Guys, you want to be first? Then you've got to take on the position of a slave. You have to come last. And, and what happens when he, when he has this confrontation with the disciples? Well, the two tried to get out in front and the other ten got got mad. They were indignant because they had been outmaneuvered. And that happens in churches, happens in political parties, happens in families, in schools, in workplaces. It happens all the time because that is the carnal nature. That is the way of the world. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not so. Humility, gratitude, service, sacrifice, forgiveness, kindness, love. These are the indicators of a spiritually mature disciple. This is what it means to be like Jesus. You remember what Paul says there in those verses that I read to you, verses 5 through 9. He says, you know, who is Apollos anyway? Who is Paul? I mean, Paul's one of the most exalted figures in Christendom, right? He says, who is he? That we should be the cause of such quarrels while we're only servants. Through us, God caused you to believe. Each of us did the work that God gave us. My job was to plant the seed. Apollos watered it. But who was causing all the growth? It was the Lord. So he calls them to account for their self-centered, quarrelsome personality as a, as a church and reminds them that we are partners together. We work together as partners with God. We are His field. We are His building. As verse 5 says, we are only God's servants. Only God's servants. I think what Paul is, is 
demanding of us even today is for us to rethink the way that, that we view our pastors, uh, our favorite pastors. I mean, what are they? Paul says we are only servants, only servants, only God's servants. The word from the Greek for servant here literally means a table waiter. Anybody here ever worked at tables as a waiter? It's, it's one of those kind of startup jobs, isn't it? Yeah, Melinda's sh shaking her head. Yeah, uh, both my boys did that to pay for their cars when they were in high school. And um, man, the abuse sometimes they took. I mean, it's not an easy job to be a server, to be a table waiter. But this is the very word that Paul uses to describe himself and Apollos. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 2 when the, the wine ran out at the wedding at Cana of Galilee and Mary says to this you know, panicked host in the family, he says, uh, tell the waiters, the table waiters, to do whatever Jesus says. Because <laughs> Mary had faith to believe that he could solve this crisis. Table waiters are not the host of the feast. They're not the father of the bride. They're not the chef that cooks the wonderful meal. Table waiters are just ordinary servants. And Paul says here that, that he and Apollos, they're not saviors. They're not the good news. They are, they are not the Holy Spirit. They are not God. They, they are servants to God. They are table waiters to the kingdom of God. One day a man was taking his uh, little granddaughter for a walk and they were holding hand in hand, uh, walking down the sidewalk around their block and a neighbor saw them and uh, spoke to them. And then as they came back around the block, they saw each other again. And this time the little girl was riding on grandpa's shoulders. And the neighbor said, my, how you've grown. And with insight beyond her years, the little girl said, not really, not all of this is me. Not all of this is me. For 37 years as a pastor, I am telling you that I have been reminded regularly by my own inadequacies, my own struggles, my own insecurities and my low self-esteem and all the other baggage that I've carried with me my entire life. I've been reminded time and time again, not all of this is me. It never has been and never will be. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. It is the power of God and the strength of God working in and through me. And that's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, folks, these, he said, we're just, we're just table waiters. We're servants through whom you believed. God worked through us. The Holy Spirit worked in us and through us. This doesn't have anything to do with us. I planted some seed. Apollo watered it, but it was God who caused the growth. And here's what I want you to remember during this time of transition. It is scary to think about a change as big as this one. For some of us, it's scary. It, it's causing me to have a little bit of anxiety. And then I just have to keep remembering, God's going to take care of His church. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Really believe it? 
He's going to take care of us. We have no idea who this new pastor will be. We just know that there's a bishop and some superintendents meeting right now uh, on a fairly regular basis, talking and praying and discerning the Holy Spirit's guidance as to who will come next. And whoever this person will be, he or she will be a table waiter will be a servant of God's word, and I pray a servant to this church. Now, the new pastor won't do it perfectly. I haven't. Jeremy doesn't. Andrew didn't. Larry didn't. Anyone that served these church, this church as a pastor during my tenure has had plenty of weaknesses and frailties and failures. There are so many things I, I, I wish I had done better. There are a few things I wish I could do over. But you see, I'm just a table waiter. That's all I am. And I am totally reliant on, upon the power of God and the grace of God and the strength of God to be who God has called me to be. Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, this is in chapter 4, a few verses later. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to the scriptures, you won't brag about one of your leaders at the expense of another. What makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all that you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? Man, those are powerful words. Listen, doctors don't make you healthy. Teachers don't make you smart. Fitness tra trainers don't make you fit. AA doesn't make you sober. Pastors don't make you spiritual. At some point, you've got to realize that your growth, your health, your well-being spiritually is your responsibility. And that is true individually for us as disciples of Jesus. And it's true especially for churches. And so where are you in this journey towards greater maturity? Do you have, have the faith to believe that God will bless and prosper his people as we humbly seek his face, as we live under the lordship of Jesus every day and surrender our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit? Paul says, we work together as partners who belong to God. You are God's field. You are God's building. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about what that means. Now, I invite you to stand as we sing together our closing song, Make Me a Servant. Make this your prayer. Humble and meek, Lord, let me lift up those who are weak, and may the prayer of my heart always be, Make me a servant today. Let's sing together.